0: Thank you, Therese. Awesome worship again this morning. A uh, couple announcements before we get going. Uh, the families care. I don't know if the church body received an email. We've got that Project One Twenty Seven that we're looking at helping uh, income or not income, but at-risk families uh, here in the area. And Brendan sent, sent out an email. If anybody that would like to participate and kind of commit to helping out. Um, we have two families, I think, right now that are committed. And if you're interested in doing that, we, we need more than two families to do it. So if you're interested in helping out, please see Brenda. She's going to kind of give you some uh, little intel on that after church. And then uh, also, uh, we wanna, we've got some stuff going on in Israel right now. I think you guys have been probably paying attention. So uh, they were attacked. Israel was attacked by Hamas uh, and over 600 people. Have died. Uh, over two thousand people are injured, and it just appears that war has uh, been proclaimed by Netanyahu, and it's imminent that it's going to happen. or it is happening, and uh, I was talking to Vern this morning about what's you know going on in Israel, and we see this in Scripture that you know that this is a this is a pretty serious event. Uh, so I think we need to be praying uh, for Israel, and also individually, uh, we see the signs coming, you know, and. and I'm just reminded of the passage that talks about, you know, if you knew when someone was going to break into your home, you'd be prepared. And if hopefully this sermon can encourage you. If there's a part of you that feels like you're not prepared uh, for Jesus to come back, um, I think now might be a good time to really start taking stock. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, and we'll get to the message. Father, we... Uh, we see but just through a foggy mirror right now of what's happening, but we can see some of the signs that are prophesied in Your Word through the words of Jesus. And and um, Lord, I pray that uh, we take it serious, we take our walk serious, we take our seeking of You serious. And I also pray for those uh, in Israel, uh, that You give them strength and guidance and... and um, Lord, I don't know enough about—I don't know enough about what's going on. I don't know enough about end times and what's going to happen. But I do know that you—you know—and I know that uh, you love us. Your word is very clear about that. And I pray, Father, for those over there, you keep them safe and that your ultimately that your will is fulfilled. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome, Burn. Uh, turn with me to the book of Genesis. I've got a couple of fun facts I want to. I read an article recently and I want to share this with you. In Genesis 1, we're just going to read four passages in Genesis and then I'll make the point. But in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, it says In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now go to verses 6 through 8 that says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now go to chapter 7 of Genesis. Genesis seven seventeen through 20. If you... Didn't get handed uh, the notes. I've got a, a sheet of all the scriptures that I'm using today uh, on the table. When you walk in on the right-hand side, uh, if you want to take notes, feel free to jump up and grab one. On this intro, uh, kind of fun fact here: Genesis 7:17 7, through 20 says the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevail, prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. So, real side note, I was just, you know, three weeks ago I was flying in a uh, a beaver, and I was flying through the Alaska Range, one of the passes, and on my left, about four miles was... Denali. And what's the, ele- what's the elevation of McKinley or Denali? Brenda, is it 23,000 feet? 23,000 feet. So I, just, I thought of that when I, when I read this here that said the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. <laughs> so if you think about the waters uh, prevailing over McKinley or Everest... Or whatever. I mean, that's just uh, that's, a, that's a lot of water. Genesis eight one through five said says but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually at the end of 150 days the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So there's a common theme here, and the common theme is water. There's a lot of water mentioned in Genesis and, uh, about the waters coming from the surface of the deep. And I read this article, and it's about the massive amounts of water in the earth, but it's also about the massive amounts of water they've discovered under the earth, under the crest of the earth. And I'm going to read that article. It turns out there's a huge supply of water 400 miles underground stored in rock known as ringwoodite. R-I-N-G, ring wood, W-O-O-D-I-T-E, ringwoodite. That's the underground uh, layer that, the rock, that uh, there's a huge supply of water stored. Scientists previously discovered that water is stored inside mantle rock in a sponge-like state, which isn't a liquid solid or a gas, but instead a fourth state. Quote, the ringwoodite is like a sponge soaking up water. There is something very special about the crystal structure of ringwoodite that allows it to attract hydrogen and trap water, said geophysicist Steve Jacobson. This mineral can contain a lot of water under conditions of the deep mantle, Added Jacobson, who was part of the team behind the discovery. He added, I think we are finally seeing evidence for a whole Earth water cycle, which may help explain the vast amount of liquid water on the surface of our habitable planet. Scientists have been looking for this missing deep water for decades. Scientists made the findings at the time after studying earthquakes and discovering that seismometers were picking up shockwaves under the surface of the Earth. From that, they were able to establish that the water was being held in the rock known as ringwoodite. If the rock contained just 1% water, it would mean that there is three times more water under the surface of the earth than there is in the oceans and lakes and rivers on the surface. It is not only significant, it is not the only significant discovery made by scientists recently either. In fact, researchers found an entirely new ecosystem when turning over volcanic crust with the aid of an underwater robot, showing that even now, nature has many more secrets to unearth. So I find it, I just read that article, and it made me think of all the times water is mentioned at the beginning, and how we can't even fathom, I think it says in Ecclesiastes that that man cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It is so enormous. It is so beyond our comprehension. But when you find new facts like this from scientists, when they start discovering the different mantles and layers of the earth and the crust and what's below the crust, it always just points to a creator. It points to a God that is amazing, that loves us, and he does things and he's done things that is far beyond our capability at this time. So... Anyway, that was a fun, uh, a fun uh, from my, I, my perspective, was a fun science fact. Figured I'd bring one back today, Steve. Um, but to the sermon, that uh, all week I struggled on what the content would be. I mean, it was easy when I got back from Alaska to talk about my Alaska trip and, and share with you my experience uh, walking in, the, in, in God's creation. Um, and then uh, it was easy last week to talk about Peter and, and the fact that he was really struggling with life and staying faithful until he received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and, and the fact that that was what gave him his power. And then all week, I'm, I even said to Brenda a few times throughout the week, what, what should I preach on? And she's like, I don't know, what, what do you think? And I said, I don't know, it's like there's a pickleball game going on in my head, and I just can't seem to get the content of what I wanted to speak on. And that's one of the reasons why I loved the Sermon on the Mount series so much, is that it's spelled out for you. You're just preaching what Jesus taught, and you're just talking about what Jesus taught, and it just kind of sets it up for you week after week. That wasn't the case this week. And uh, so I, I, was, I was kind of banging my head against the desk last night, going, I've got to come up with a subject that I feel is, is needed uh, for this church body. And I, so I finally did what I usually do when I get desperate, which is, God, <laughs> help, help. And it was a, a minute later... Literally, a minute later, Evelyn walks through the door. And she's got this look on her face, and I could tell something was wrong. And I said, sweetie, are you OK? And she could, I could hear in her voice, she says, no, I, I fell. I hurt. No, she said, I hurt myself. Now, remember I told you last week about Ridge climbing in the trap? And I said that my daughter or girls were way too smart to do anything like that? Well, I still stand behind that, my daughter or daughters or your daughters, or daughters in general, would never climb inside of a steel trap trying to see if they would fit, I don't think. However, they may try and swing off of a rope onto a trampoline with too much momentum to trip over their friend and then fall off the trampoline, land on their shoulder and hit their head on something. That's what happened to Evelyn. she, she comes in, she's hurt, and immediately I felt that sense that any father would feel for his child, especially his daughter. I mean, the boy's just like, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. But with your daughter, you say, come here, honey. So she comes and she sits on my knee, and we talk a minute, and I take a little picture of her scrape on her shoulder, and I show it to her on the phone and say, it's not bleeding, it's just scraped. And I said, where does it hurt? And she gets the, the you know the medicine that she needs, and, and uh, I, I was thinking... The, how much empathy I had for my hurting child, for my little girl. And so we, we, I consoled her, and she was fine. And then she went out, and she started playing again like nothing happened because she's tough. Uh, one of the few times I've been really upset at her is when she hits me uh, because she doesn't realize how strong she is. She hits harder than any one of her brothers. She probably punches harder than Donaldo. Um, she has this incredible... <laughs> Danala, I'm serious. She's got this incredible strength when she punches, and so she's just, like, she's a very tough girl, but I could see she was hurting, and so I had this deep, genuine empathy for her, and then she left and went outside, and my first thought was, I wonder how God feels when he looks down at his children. And it was like God uses the weirdest things to bring you a subject matter that you want to discuss, And he used my daughter falling off of a trampoline to bring this idea of God's love for us and how he has empathy for his children. And he he has empathy for his children that, his creation rather, he has empathy for his creation that haven't yet bowed their knee. Or else he wouldn't say that he desires all men everywhere to come to repentance. Everywhere. All men and women to come to repentance. Repentance, that's God's goal. That's His His goal for us. And there's a reason why He wants us to come to repentance. And it's for our own good. And so as I was thinking about how how my daughter was hurting and then I was thinking about how we hurt, I, I began to think about communication among married couples and I began to think about sometimes marriage is hard. And we struggle internally about that. Sometimes we struggle with our, our children and, and you wonder how how... Someone created in the image of God can make decisions so irrational at certain ages, and it's just because the way the brain develops, and they, they're not thinking clearly. Okay, uh, You struggle with sometimes inflation. I mean, how many of us are struggling with this concept of how, much, how expensive things are and the anxieties that come with that? I mean, I, I know I do. I know I think about it. I'm, I'm thinking about work. Like, man, stuff is just so pricey. And I'm, I'm wrestling with ins- inside, and I'm having this anxiety that's come from it. And what about, again, depression or, or anxiety that, that we feel from these different aspects of our life? Um, what about grief and loss? I mean, how many of us struggle with grief and loss or struggle with a family member that's struggling with something, whether it's an addiction or it's something that's causing them to really walk away from God? What, maybe we struggle with a low self-worth. I mean, we can, list, we can list so many things that we as humans struggle with, and we have, we have pain over, and we, and we wrestle with them inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, inside of our heads. I, I think it's pretty common across the board. Um, now imagine how I felt, or how you would feel, if your daughter fell off of a trampoline. And kind of put yourself, if you can, in God's shoes of how he feels when we, collectively, are dealing with issues that are causing us turmoil. I'd venture to say, you know, that probably everyone in this room that has the capability of thinking is struggling with something. And it may be you not personally. Maybe you're not struggling, but maybe you're struggling with your, your child, Maybe you're struggling with a work situation. Maybe you have this this anxiety. So I wanted to find some things in Scripture that really kind of gave us a sense of who is this God that we serve? Who is this God that we pray to? Who is this God that that sacrificed Himself for us? To give us an idea to maybe relate a little closer to Him. And so if you go with me to John chapter 11, this is the only long reading I'm going to have, but I think it's an important story to read in John chapter 11, so stick with me, I'll try not to read too fast, I'll, I'll probably do commentary along the way, so it says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So in the first two verses, we recognize that uh, you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You have siblings. And Lazarus, the brother, was ill. So if any of you have a sister and a brother, you could probably really relate to the feeling that Mary and Martha had about the fact that Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him Jesus, saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. So now we see from the, the text that Jesus loves Lazarus, and that word "love" in this particular uh, this particular word, because there's four for, words for love in the Greek, and three are used in the New Testament. This one is agape, and in this this uh, oh, I just I, my brain just went silent for a second on the uh, how how a verb is structured, but anyway, it means affection. So Jesus loved, had affection for Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard in verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus, oh, I'm going to go back, sorry, I'm going to go back to verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, was, uh, heard it that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved, that's affection. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Very clear that Jesus loved them. So when he heard That Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So is he sleeping or is he dead? After saying these, uh, verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Lazarus is dead. Jesus knows it before he even goes to where he's at. Okay? Keep that in mind. Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that wherever, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." So Jesus tells Martha, "Your brother is going to rise. He's been in the tomb four days. I got it covered. Jesus is going to, or, uh, I'm sorry, Lazarus is going to rise again." Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Jesus knows, according to the text, that Lazarus is going to rise from the dead. Okay, Martha was just told by Jesus that he was going to resurrect from the dead. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when he heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, Mary uh, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now at this point, we know from the story that Jesus already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he he can't be, I wouldn't think he could be upset because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And the shortest verse in the Bible that we have is what? Jesus wept. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus said it, four days prior or two days prior when he says, ah, let's just stay here for a couple more days and then we'll go. He told his disciples, I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's okay. I'm going to awaken him from his sleep. That's why we must go so that God may be glorified. And yet he saw the pain of Mary. He saw the pain of the other Jews that were friends of Mary and Martha, that were friends of Lazarus. And what did Jesus feel? He felt Pain inside. Think about that from putting a picture of who Jesus is. Like Jesus wept because of the pain that the humans were feeling. There's an a, a old religious leader that said, this passage shows the two natures of Jesus. In his humanity, Jesus wept. In his divinity, he raised him from the dead. And we see that as it continues when it said, uh, then Jesus deeply moved in verse 38. Jesus deeply moved, again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha The sister of the dead man said, Jesus, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. I read that story and I read it again and I read it again and I kept trying to put myself in the place of Jesus going, what, what would cause him to have this, what, what does it say? It said that uh, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled even though he knew he was about to raise her from the dead. And he knew he had the power and the divinity to do that. And it shows me the humanness and the side of Jesus that can empathize with our pain and our struggles. If you go to uh, Luke chapter 12, very simple passage, a couple of verses, 6 and 7. It says, "Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God." And it's in the context of us being much more valuable than sparrows. Luke twelve six through seven says, "Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more of more value than many sparrows." So we see we see that God cares about the sparrows, and Jesus is saying, you are much more valuable than sparrows. In uh, John 3.16, I mean that's the most quoted probably Bible verse uh, by any I don't know, any group around, and you see it in football games or you used to before it became probably illegal to have a religious verse in there, but John 3.16 it says, obviously, you probably, you can all quote it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we, and oftentimes we look at this passage as shall not perish but have eternal life. But I want to focus on the fact that it says, for God so loved the world. He loved us so much that he saw that sin was going to separate us from him. And so he had to bring his son or send his son be a sacrifice so that we could live forever, and that's not just this storybook fairy tale that we that we see in a children's book. This is the, I mean, this is the purpose of the gospel, the fact that Jesus sent His Son, or God sent His Son Jesus, to die on a cross for us. And if that's not empathy and 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 that's not love, I don't know what is because I've got six children, and you've heard me say this before, and you probably feel the same way. I, I don't think I'd send one of them for. Most of the people I know, for you guys, I probably would if I knew it was eternity. But for the people that I deal with in the world, I don't know if I have that in me. I'll t- I'm being honest. <laughs> Maybe you're more righteous than I am. I don't know. But I, I'm like, okay, which one do I pick? I uh, can't do it. I'm sorry. But that's why God is who He is and that's why I'm not Him. Because He can do that. Now, when we look at these things in life, and we look at these struggles, these anxieties, and we look at our marriages and our children, and we look at our jobs and our finances and our anxiety, and all the things that go along with that, um, I want to read a passage that many of you have been quoted, maybe you've heard, maybe you've read, and it's in, in Romans chapter 8, and the passage is very simple, and it says, uh, we'll start in verse 26, Romans eight twenty-six it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know excuse me, what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit or knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to... The will of God, and then it says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." Now, some people hear, "All things are good." That's not what it says. So it says, "All things work together for good." And I and I I wrote I t- tried to come up with an analogy, and all I could think of was cookies cookies anybody ever chugged a raw egg as like a college dare no you put a, a raw egg in a glass and you chug it Ugh. I have it's not good it's hard to get down sometimes what about a tablespoon of salt have you ever taken a tablespoon of salt and just put it in your mouth and try to eat it A little bit of salt is good, but a lot of salt make you gag. What about baking soda? Have you ever tasted baking soda? Of course you have. Have you ever taken a teaspoon of baking soda and ate it? They're probably going to try it later today. They're going to dare each other. It's not good. What about sorghum powder or flour? Sorghum flour. Or what about just all-purpose white flour? Have you ever had a cup of white flour and just ate it? No, nobody does that because you can't. It's not good. It doesn't taste good. Now, what about chocolate chips? Have you ever eaten chocolate chips? Everybody loves chocolate chips or brown sugar. We all love brown sugar. We like white sugar. I can do a tablespoon of sugar. makes the medicine go down, right? We have songs about it. So you have the bitterness and the things that aren't good, and you have the things that are really good. You mix them together, and what do you get? Huh? Cookies! Cookies are good! All of these things working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things working together for the good of those who love God. And that means the tough times and the good times. Working together for the good of those who love God. And when I think about these scriptures, there are more passages about God's care and His empathy and His love for us then I'm going to put down in one passage. There are more scriptures throughout the entire Bible. It would take months and months and months to go over all of the passages and study them. So I think I have six of them here. Isaiah 41, verse 10. I'm going to read probably Isaiah 41, 8, um, 8 through 13. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Now, I want to get really real with you guys. I want you to think about these promises of God and think about the things that possibly you are dealing with in life right now. Whether it is, whatever it is, kids, marriage, work, money, it doesn't matter. Any anxiety, any struggle, any self-esteem, any depression, whatever it is, God is saying, fear not, I am the one who helps you. There is a, there's a level of faith here that when times are starting to get tough, God is constantly saying, rely on me. Quit focusing on you and your problem. Rely on me. I'm going to read this. It says, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to skip ahead and I'll read it again. Psalm fifty five twenty two. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That is the beauty of who God is. You have these anxieties? Take them! God, take them. Take the anxieties. Take the concerns. Take take the struggles. Take what I'm hurting with and take them. He tells us this over and over. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Now, I understand this is a practical application that we have to put in our lives. It's not something that we go, oh, the preacher said, don't be anxious. Guess what? I'm not anxious today. It's something that you have to to be intentional about. When you start to wrestle, when you start to struggle, when you start to think about things that are potentially damaging to you, you go, God, God. I need you to take this care from me. Take this anxiety from me. There is not a good parent in the history of the world that had capabilities that was not able to somehow protect, and I know there's obviously caveats, but you guys in general, I'm saying, who here has ever starved to death? Who here has slept on the streets for months at a time? out in the pouring rain. We have parents that love us, that work, that protected us, that guided us. And we have this God the Father that's like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you your needs. not your wants. You want an iPhone 11? Too bad. You don't need it. It's bad anyway. But I'm going to give you your needs. What I promised you. Food, clothing. That's what I'm going to give to you. I can, I can preach this from a perspective of experience. For, I don't know how many years, well, I do know, about 24 years, 25 years, I had a, and I, some of you have heard me preach this, I had a very low self-worth. A low self-worth, a low self-value. And I tried to fill that value and that worth with anything but God. Right? Anything but God. That's where I was going to fill my value tank. And it never worked. I I kept having low self-value. I didn't have self-worth. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I've tried everything else. And God said, it's time. It's time for you to experience me. Truly experience me. So I said yes. And I don't struggle with self-worth anymore. Not even a little bit. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the fact that I am the son of the King of Kings. That's my father. The Lord of Lords. He said, I'm going to make you, Nate, an inheritor of everything. And he says the same thing to each and every single one of you in this room. I'm going to make you an inheritor. You can become the son or the daughter of the king of kings, the captain of the universe, can be your father. That's how much He loves us. And it's real. We can can try and fill it with everything else. Nothing measures up to God. Nothing. I'm going to read my conclusion somewhat. The best thing we can do is surrender to Him. We surrender our worries, our cares, our anxiety, our struggles. We are at our best if we surrender to Him. And I believe that's why God, one of the reasons why it says that God desires all men, all mankind, everywhere to come to repentance. Because He's an empathetic, loving Father that says, I have something so much better for you Than what the world has to offer. So much better. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. It's so valuable, I sent my son because that was the price that needed to be paid. Take it. Take it. God is constantly drawing us to him. Does that mean we're going to... People say life, uh, it's not always a bed of roses. Well, I hope not. Have you ever... Fallen into a rose bush? There's thorns. Like, doesn't mean life is not still going to have its struggles, its trials. They're still going to... In fact, I want to read one, and then I'm going over what I thought I was going to go, but I want to read this. Um, I, think it's in the, I think it's in the Psalm, the 55th Psalm. There's a, a passage... That was, I'm glad I remembered that's where it was. Okay, and I already read it, but there's a word in here. In the 55th Psalm, verse 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Okay? Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. I challenge, if I'm wrong on this, please correct me, but this uh, this morning I looked up this word, burden. In the Hebrew... And it means, what is given by providence? That was new to me. That thought, I always thought a burden was something like an evil person, you know, does something against you. But that word burden, and correct me if I'm wrong, text me, call me, and just say, hey, I looked it up and you you missed. But if this is what it means, which I think it does, it says, cast what is given by providence on the Lord. All things work together. There are things that don't seem pleasant at the time. But that word means a lot. We people say, that's a lot. Well, what does a lot mean? A lot, a dash lot. A lot is a large number, quantity, or amount. There is a lot of people. There is a large quantity of people there. Okay? So cast your burdens given by providence, a lot... a a quantity of something that may be negative in our own minds, he's saying, give it to God, and he will sustain you. So that's where that practical application comes in, brothers and sisters. When we are dealing with stuff, what do we go to to put our mind at peace? What do we go to? If you hand it to God... Says he will take care of it. Will it disappear? Maybe not. Sometimes probably not. I'm going to finish with a quick joke. But a true story. This guy was so entrenched in work, he had this. Multi, multi, multi-million dollar company. And every day, he was going from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, seven days a week. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm burned out. The cares of the business and the people, it's just too much. So he puts out an ad. And he says, I'm looking for someone to take over my job. Replace my day-to-day duties. He gets about 50 applicants, and he finally nails one down. He goes, this is the guy right here. He's going to be able to take over my duties for me. I, I'm not going to have to worry about anything anymore. And so he hires the guy, and they sign the contracts and all that. And the guy looks at his books, and he goes, "Whew, man, you got a lot going on here. This is going to be kind of tough." And uh, he goes, I, "I just have a, a question. You know, how, looking at how am I going to get paid? How am I going to get reimbursed for all this work I'm doing?" And the guy said, "That's your problem. How do you not get that?" The guy hiring the guy says, you worry about how you're going to get paid. I'm not worried about it anymore. Is that not funny? You guys need some coffee. That was a good joke. You worry about it. We hand our problems off to God. Say, God, take care of it. I'm not going to worry about it. I know you're going to. Okay. I'll come up with a better joke next week. Let's pray and then we'll do communion. Father, thank you so much for the promises in your word about sustaining us, about loving us, about protecting us, about taking our worries and our concerns and our anxiety. Father, it's real. We all have them. You know what they are. Father, this morning I asked uh, everyone in this room has some sort of burden that they're thinking about, or that they have in their life. It could be them personally, it could be a family member, but it's something that they worry about, they think about. They maybe have small moments of anxiety over. Father, I pray for the faith to increase in this body that you just help us understand the true meaning of to cast our anxieties upon you. Help us go to prayer over them. Help us focus on you and the fact that you will fulfill your promises. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.